Hi, I'm Inga Davids, and welcome to Her Bold Story. Her Bold Story is a show that amplifies women's stories about leadership, career, empowerment, and everything in between. Welcome to the first episode. I'm so excited to share today's story. We'll be chatting about navigating the corporate jungle gym. We know it's an exciting journey with all the twists, turns, and bumps along the way. But maybe you've wondered, what does it mean to be on top of your game? How do you get there? How do you stay there? And how do we empower others? This is exactly what we'll be discussing on today's episode. Our phenomenal woman is a senior manager of the workforce management department at an international retailer. She has blazed the trail and navigated her way to a space where she can lead and inspire others. Welcome Lynn Wilson to Her Bold Story. We're so happy to have you joining us today. Hey Inga, thanks for having me. I'm so excited to share my story. (laughs) We are super excited to hear yours. And I think what most listeners want to know is if you can just tell us, I mean, you've worked your way to be a woman of influence. Can you maybe share that journey and how that's that's played out for you? So I think Inga, um, I'm going to go way back. Mm. And I'll actually start because part of your journey or one of the key things I've learned is that your journey actually starts at high school, your career Mm. journey. And that's one of the things I think is, is often underestimated is you start formulating a career from high school. So I'm going to take it back there. It. I guess at high school, I was always academic, sporty, cultural. I was that nerd that absolutely loved school in a mm. nutshell. So, I mean, I was interested in absolutely everything and mm. so many different things that it was quite hard being an academic and enjoying studying because you then come to a space where you don't know or you're directionless. I enjoyed law, I enjoyed economics, I enjoyed so many subjects from the histories to Mm. law, economics, maths. And then you're like lost. You're like, okay, someone tells you you need to make a choice, but you're a child. Yes. And then you must face all these choices, but you're adulting, but you're still a child. Mm. And it's one of the things I often speak to when I speak to parents or, or kids or learners therein lies your first choice. Mm. I mean, you kind of start making those adult choices from high school already without you consciously knowing that the choices that you make from year on out are critical. Yeah. And I mean, I learned that in evaluating my journey so many times. So I guess when you're at school, you only have to think about homework, sports and friends. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> like, where are you going to get your money from? Whose house you're going to hang out at? What you're going to do? Yeah. There aren't very many things. And then like university hits you as a paradigm and you, mm. you start hitting like responsibility and choice. Mm. Um, and so many times first becomes overwhelming. And that was where my first lesson came in. Mm. I was literally like, okay, I need to adult. But in my mind, I was still a child. I was used to structure mm. that had... Um, very good structures, very good teachers, you were sheltered and incubated. And then you need to break out of this thing and go to university and choose your own subjects and choose your own path and choose Mm. so many things for yourself. When a few months back to this, everybody was making those choices for me, telling me when I needed to do things, how I needed to do things. So that I found was one of the fascinating phases in Mm. life. Now, if I look back and I think in the first year, I did well. I started studying BCom, went to university, I was like, hmm. when you can study and you enjoy studying, then you can almost do anything. Yeah. So, you know, you go for the assessment and you start, you start your journey. Mm. And then you're like, wow. And for me, I started my journey and it stopped. Like first year, second year, 
great. I was getting the marks. And in mm. my first year, a lecturer told me I was really good at IS. I was lost. I was like, I just was told or counseled yeah. to do a BCom. I didn't quite know why I was doing it. Didn't mm-hmm. understand the why, mm-hmm. but I was just doing it. And then was my first like almost milestone because he really coached me. He could see that I was good at this. Mm. I didn't know I was good. At, I didn't know what I was good at. I just knew I was getting good marks. Yes, because that was that the end goal, right? At varsity, yes. the end goal was marks. <laughs> That's yes. we were told That's to do a BCom. End goal marks. Great. You, you really never thought about what you were gonna do or where mm-hmm. you were gonna go. I didn't like envisage what the end result of this was. Mm. And that was almost my very next lesson. Probably one I hold on to most now mm. is I say to people, I operate in 10-year cycles. I work now for where I want to be in 10 years. Love so it. I keep going 10 years. Where do I want to be? Mm. What do I need to do now, between now and then to get there? But mm. I learned that lesson at university because I realized that I was going down some kind of path. I had no idea where I was going. Like yeah. None whatsoever. I got to my third year. Next point I absolutely love about my life. I hated it at the time, not going <laughs> to lie, was third year. By the time I got to third year, I was studying IS. I had mm. no clue why I was studying it, what I was doing. I didn't even like it. I hated it. The story sounds third year, so familiar for me. <laughs> Because I studied IS2 at UCT. So I'm just like, mm, yeah, that was me too. Your, your journey is resonating a lot with me. I'm like, I had no idea what I was doing. After third year, because all I knew was academics. I could study. Mm. I was good mm. at, I'm good at padded fashion. Don't ask me what I'm going to do with it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like my hands don't know what to do with that information. The information just flows. For sure. Um, which, like, thank God for my talents. But sometimes you don't always know what to do with your talents mm-hmm. or how to hone your talents. Yeah. And when I got to third year, final semester, third year, studying, but the stuff's not making sense. And mm. I started to panic because I was getting to the end of a journey. I didn't mm. know what I was going to do. Mm. Because in third year, you need to start making choices and you come to the end and you could coast. The rest it didn't have to make sense. Yes. Because there's another year that you're going to stay at this institution and exactly. not take like, there's no more responsibilities. You just have to go to class, yeah. get the marks, see your friends, hang out. <laughs> Make yourself some pocket money yes. and love your life. Exactly. That's simple. It's pretty simple. Yeah. Now you're pivoting to the next space and you go, I had fear. I was like, I can still do this, but I don't know what I'm doing. Mm. And I'm getting to the end of this phase. Mm. And that's why I say I've subsequently learned to live my life and plan my phases and mm. plan them well. Mm. And it comes from my university journey. I then cried. I wrote the exam. hated it. Sat in front of my dad on my knees and cried completely lost frustrated mm. i don't want to do this anymore i'm losing it yeah yeah. yeah. my dad's an interesting man i love him to bits such mm. a good teacher to me mm. he's in the navy oh lovely mm. that comes with its challenges he only has daughters he's not the softest mm. people mm. you know they come from discipline structure yep. what yep. do you mean girls don't cry <laughs> oh. like where are you going with this it's yes. like meltdowns in meltdowns don't happen in, in the navy they're not designed for meltdown and i was like hoping to somehow get out of this mm. i was hoping that somehow he was gonna wipe my tears and <laughs> cut me some slack give me a break you know allow me to just 
be a dropout, you know. I was going to go back. I still wanted to be something, but just give me a break mm. to like drop out. My dad doesn't do dropouts. There's no breaks. Yeah. You do discipline. Yes. We finish, That's right? You, you endure. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, he wiped my tears mm. at like half past two in the morning, told me to go sleep and go write my exam. And when we get home tomorrow, after you've written that exam that you're crying about, Mm-mm. we'll figure it out from there. Yes, yes. And essentially, I wrote the exam, cried throughout mm. the parking lot of the university, cried on my walk home. Mm. But you know what? I knew that I needed to do something. I just didn't know what. Mm-hmm. Um, and giving up wasn't an option yes. for him. I mean, it's something I'm eternally grateful for because mm. it's literally um, entrenched in me never to give up. Yeah. I then had like this career counseling session where this woman said to me, HR. So now I've had two strong, mm. completely opposite degrees. Yeah. My dad told me to go seek counsel, get an understanding of what you want to do next. Great advice. She, <laughs> she says, HR. I'm like, okay. This one dude told me that I was good at IT. Mm. You're making me write a whole lot of aptitude tests here, and you're telling me the outcome is HR. Mm. Firstly, what is HR? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you study it as the first like module in the beginning of BCom. Mm. But what is HR? What does yes. it look like? What does it feel like? What do those people do? Exactly. Or are they just doing payslips, right? Are they just doing interviews yeah. and payslips? Because that's what you understand. You're like, that's what they pretty much told us HR is about. So it's not that exciting yeah. if that's all that I need to do. That was my thought. And she was like, no, there's this other thing in HR called industrial psychology. Mm. What do they do? Mm. They don't do as much admin. Okay, that sounds better. <laughs> Intriguing. Intriguing. Interesting. Mm. I like admin though. Like I like to do this. So that was the two for me. I had now done, mm. heard HR, told I'm good at IT. Now I'm starting to adult. Mm. Balancing these three things. I then went back and I started studying at UNISA. Mm. But also... By the same token, when I talk about that adulting phase, for the first time I'd failed at something because in my third year I failed. And being an mm. academic and like enjoying school, failure, true mm. failure hit me for the first time. Mm. I mean, what that feels like to fail at something because yeah. I didn't fail. I mean, when mm. you love to play sports and you can get good marks, failure doesn't knock you that hard. Yeah. Because you cruise kind of through high school. Mm. you pass every subject if you've never failed the subject I mean this is from someone who never failed the subject mm. at high school so for the first time at university I was hit with failure mm. I failed something me yeah. I yes I was so hard on myself about failing um and that's something now when I teach I always tell people is to embrace failure like yeah. it's one thing that I absolutely enjoy is fail mm. fail fast and take the opportunity to reflect at any given opportunity that you get. Yeah. Stop, pause. You need to fail. Mm. You need to fail to learn. You need to fail so that you can polish yourself mm. and use it as every opportunity. So I always tell students, that was a hard knock for me, but the best knock for me because then I started learning to fail. So when I got to corporate, mm. it wasn't so hard. Yeah. When I got to a personal life, when I got to other things in my life, it wasn't so hard anymore. 
to deal mm. with the aspect of failure. Mm. So yeah, I started to see to see something in me then and to learn and to and to grow. Yeah. So I started at Tunisia. My dad had then told me, you know, doing this the second time around financially is not going to work. Mm. Um, I then started working and studying. So I started a career because there was no more money yeah. left after my tears to go full time or at least he told me there was. And I do think in hindsight, there probably yeah. was. Yeah. <laughs> He just wanted me to learn the lesson. Yes. Of you don't get to do this twice. Yeah, yeah. There's no free ride in life. Yes. But essentially, I then started working full-time and studying. Mm. I started off sure. my career. I started at EDCON. Mm. I went to UNISA, enrolled for that industrial psych degree, and I loved it. Mm. I so much enjoyed the people component. I worked in HR at EDCON, mm. moved to TFG shortly after, and started my career. And I mean, then I took any job. In fact, my sister had applied for me for the jobs. I always say, bless her. <laughs> There's a blessing in having an older sister because yeah. she knew some of the heat I was getting from my dad. So she was trying to dissolve like the situation and help me like create a path. Yeah, she could see, sure. <laughs> I was slightly derailed here. You know, there's a joy in having an older sister. She's like, come along. So yeah, my older sister then actually like filled up the applications for me and oh, I sweet. started my career. But really I started, I mean, I always joke mm. in the most junior role. I didn't even know which job she applied for. I went for the interview. I'd worked in HR before. I'd worked in operations. I'd worked in stores. And I started out as what I call like the human shredder. I shredded people's papers. Literally then the human shredder. Like that was the job. I started in TFG in payroll as the payroll's admin clock. Okay. What a wild title in 2020. (laughs) (laughs) But yes, I basically, I cleaned people's Hmm. papers, folders, files, Shredded stuff, mm. stamped stuff, sorted mm. stuff. Mm. The human shredder for people. Yeah. I would go and clean the machine, stack the machine, refill the machine, pick up your paper when you finished with it while I watched this office woman work. Mm. But in that, I always started early. Like I'd go in early every morning mm. religiously. And I would take every opportunity I got and I sponged information. Like I took pride in that job, like my life depended on it. Oh, I love that. I still do. Yeah. There was a little, those, what do you call them? The bank booth windows. And I mean, the department is on complete lockdown, but I took pride in being the face behind that little window. Mm. Now it's the face that people got to see. I was responsible for treating them, Mm. taking their papers, sorting out their papers, stamping their papers, signing their forms in. Mm. I did that job with the most pride and I loved it. I took every opportunity in that job to find where if I could optimize a process, enhance a process, mm. simplify a process, I started there. Mm. I and today, it. if you look back, I am a business process manager. Yes. <laughs> I optimize processes. I enhance processes. I re-engineer processes. Mm. But it started there 14 years ago, mm. where in the small, I took every opportunity. Like, and I literally, I loved it. Like, with no lies, not knowing where I was headed. 
but I have to plan everything that I did and I truly enjoyed it. Like, mm. I enjoyed engaging with people. I enjoyed serving people. I enjoyed having like a servant heart. Ah, and I, I needed to pick up their papers. I, I love that. I never saw it as picking up their papers. I, I was... saw it as service. I saw it as a value add. So I never saw it. I mean, now if I reflect back, I call myself the human shredder. But <laughs> I mean, then I truly just enjoyed it. Yeah. I like I, going to work. I, I, I love that because I was, when you were telling your story now, all I was thinking is like, cool. I mean, a very educated young woman. And then you have to shed papers. Like, how do you stay motivated to do that? But then it makes sense because like you're saying now, I, I serve. That is mm. your motivator. I come from a place of mm. wanting to serve people because not then having that purpose, I guess, that underlines what you were even doing at that time, intentionally or unintentionally, you were doing that. You were living a purpose of, I'm, this is what I do. I, I serve people and I try to add value where I can and then also optimize the space to mm. add even more value, which, which is very refreshing to hear, I guess, because possibly anybody else in that position would have just said, you know, I'm bigger than this. I don't want to just shred papers. So to have that mindset at such a young age is very enduring and very inspiring. I really loved it. I mean, I was studying towards my degree, but being the human trader was what I was proud of. Mm. I absolutely loved being the admin person for people. And I then started, once I'd learned the ropes, to wherever I could, optimize, enhance, and steal mm. with the eye. I mean, if there's one thing I tell the youth whenever I speak, is sponge. I learned by walking past people's desks how to work a payroll system because mm. I stole with my eye continuously. So in my picking up papers, in my neatening, in my needing to process, in my walking to have big checks signed off or processes done or taking papers from point A to point B, I would listen. Mm. I would listen to conversation. Even if it's not my place, mm. I would listen. Mm. I would sponge because mm. I would then go, hmm, how does that happen? Why is this happening? Mm. Why is this happening? Why, why do they talk like that? What are mm. they talking about? Mm. So I would continuously educate myself through people's conversations in the office. Love that. I would watch people who stand behind them in idle time and mm. watch them use the system and memorize the steps because I have a good memory. Mm. Mm. So... I was then shortly after that, I was promoted. But by the time I was promoted to a payroll administrator, mm. I knew how the payroll worked because I had stolen with my eye for such a long time that no one needed to teach me how to use the system because for mm. months I had sat at my desk and in every moment I had, I would watch the ladies on the floor and how they process. Yeah, yeah. And I'd offered to help out wherever I could throughout that journey. Mm. And I guess then from that, I went on to be... Senior payroll, I mean, I just grew. Mm. I grew from one step to the next. And I continued sticking to what worked for me. I mean, I didn't even know it was working for me. Yeah, yeah. I was just doing me. Yes. Um, I continued to study throughout that. And shortly after I'd been in the payroll position, I had done everything from optimizing how we do payrolls, how we can do them quicker, what we could do better, mm. how we used spreadsheets, information, and then I started training. So every time we'd get a new person, I would teach them the ropes. Because you knew the ropes and you knew them well. <laughs> I'd be like, the, I was the welcoming committee. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody who was new in the team, I'd start, I'd handhold, 
Mm. I teach. Mm. I do my own work and I take a piece with them and I teach them a task all the Mm. time. And I then discovered that I love this teaching thing. I really, really enjoyed it. I mean, it's hard work because you're still responsible for your own work. was not getting paid for it. But I mean, I absolutely loved it. Mm. And then we started working on like centralized services. And also just, I mean, from being completely open and passionate, hard work to me is it's almost something that I love. And I mm. always tell people, like, the world will never run out of hardworking people. The world's never going to get tired of a hardworking person. Mm. Like, you can That's never true. go wrong by being hardworking. So many corporates, so many organizations, so many spaces need hardworking people. Mm. And everyone loves a hardworking person. So you yeah. can never go wrong if that's what you strive to do and be. Mm. I then started this process where we were looking at centralized services. And I was like, okay, teach here, do job there. Oh, and any project on the side as well, mm-hmm. you're welcome. Yes. Pick me, pick me. <laughs> I've always had the pick me attitude. Mm. Pick me, pick me, I'll do it. Mm. And then essentially from that, I mean, I used to teach new people. My line manager at the time, we had this central project that was going to the board and starting a new department. And it was around about that last week of December, the most terrible week in December, where payroll is really busy and the whole world's yeah. busy and half shutting down and half in the retail, we're going into our busiest yeah. week. And on about the 22nd of December, she said to me, I need to talk to you. We're going to set up the centralized office from the 1st of January. Do you want the job? What? I'm going on leave today, so if you'd like to, can you answer me before half past four? Wow. Wow. I think I took a breath, went Mm. to the bathroom, came back and said yes. I had no idea what I was saying yes to Mm. either, but I said yes. Yeah. So opportunity knocked. I didn't ask job, salary, title. Mm. I asked none of those questions. I think I was like in (laughs) In complete shock. (laughs) Yeah. And I just said yes. And how old were you at the time or how many years have you been in corporate at that point in time? I'm 34 now. I've Mm. been in corporate for about 15, 16 years. Yeah. I was about 24. I wasn't 25 yet. I was 24. There I was. Started a team. I was still degreeless. I was still... Like, shoo, baby. Mm-mm. It was really um, something else. Mm. And I absolutely enjoyed it. I then started establishing my first team. And this was, I mean, no pressure, but this was like a proof of concept from the board. They were like, yeah, we're going to give you this much funding to start that team, but it's a proof of concept. We yeah, were gonna no make pressure. This- <laughs> mm, no pressure. <laughs> I mean, that team went on to be such a big team and such a pivotal service within HR. I then moved on after a while um, Mm. and we recruited someone in my space and I moved because I then did that and over and above because I never say no thank you. Mm. I also started playing in the HR system space. Mm. There was so much changing in technology around 2010, SARS, technology, the HR technologies were coming through fast and furiously and the world was really starting to change from how we use technology in the Mm. I think it was between 08 and 2010. We moved a lot towards digitizing things Mm -hmm. and transitioning between systems. So I then got into that space. 
and I was playing, but I was still managing my team. I was playing and then playing in the system space and playing between the payroll space. Mm-hmm. There was one point where I had three jobs. Okay. Like, I, I do want to know like, where you find the time, though. Where <laughs> did you find the time? <laughs> time management, it's not just a skill. Like, it's an yeah. art. Mm. I did for a while have three roles. Sure. I mean, it's not sustainable to always have three mm-hmm. roles. But sure, like you can stretch and develop and grow so fast if mm. you if you have capacity. Yeah. And I mean, capacity is something you develop. Mm. You build your own internal capacity. Mm. So you can do those things. Mm. I essentially then went on to like master systems and I really started enjoying the testing space and I became the HR systems administrator and got into, do you remember back then, that thing that they said I liked called IT? <laughs> Yeah, you found yourself oh, again. Mm. Full circle. Yeah, we yeah we are again. Do you know that one lecturer that one time that mm, told mm-hmm. me, "Yeah, I'm back in this mm. in this space." I'm like, this thing doesn't leave me alone. <laughs> What's meant to be? Full right? circle. <laughs> mm, full circle. Studied BCom IT, hated it, cried, but mm. here I am back mm. again, testing systems, working with developers, living my best life in HR systems. Mm. Based on both worlds, I guess, right? For someone who cried about the systems thing. (laughs) There she was. Testing systems, looking at SQL code. And I continued to steal with my eye from developers. So like Mm. apps building, looking at code, fixing bugs and issues. Mm. And they enjoyed working with me and I enjoyed working with them. And I had so many good relationships. And then we were like, every time we have a problem... I'd be like the problem solver, like this is what we need to do. I think this is what we need to test. This Mm. is how I tested the thing and this is how I uncovered the issue. And I started then that journey, that journey that you know so well, Mm. of exploring someone at the end of some testing cycle said to me, you'll be great as a BA. Yeah. Wow. A business analyst. Mm, That sounds interesting. Mm -mm. And I started like researching the role wow, this sounds a lot like what I do. Did the job speak, this sounds like how my head works. <laughs> sounds like how I think. Yeah, yeah. And I really um, enjoyed it. And I started thinking, okay, cool. Started skilling myself. And there came at a point where there was a vacancy and, and an internal opportunity. Mm. And I come back to the point of failure. Because mm. there I was. I mean, internally, working with developers, mm. like loving this. Rewriting requirements, clarifying requirements, retesting, building, testing, writing test scripts, specs, Mm. redefining requirements from people who've written them before me, Mm. reviewing people's requirements. And I go for the interview. I go, you're not suited or qualified for this. And what was the reason at the time you were Mm. doing the work? Mm. It's one that so many people face. Mm. You don't have the formal qualification. Mm. Mm. I'm six months away from finishing. Mm. But you don't have it yet. Mm. Okay, but I'm doing the work. Yeah. I work here. <laughs> like, <laughs> like I know the things, right? I know how things yeah. work. It wouldn't be an easy mm. transition to take me on board right now. <laughs> I actually, that was one of the best, another moment for me that was one of my best moments mm. is I needed to fail. I needed to hear those things because it's something that made me stronger. It's something that made me even more of an academic. It's something that drove me to study harder, Mm. 
to make sure that for everything I do have a qualification so that you mm. won't ever tell me mm. that. Yes, yes. There's I power mean, in now that. I studied, now I started to have the pieces of paper for the sake of it because I truly enjoy it. Mm. And that's what actually led to that, is being told you don't have that piece of paper. Yeah. Um, and that's what made me continue to study to make sure that now when I apply for something, I have the piece of paper. Yes. You're so right. Like that is unfortunately the biggest stumbling block for lots of people making a pivot or coming into a new role. I strive to then get every piece of paper for every job I even think I might Mm. want. I went to study project management and get the formal qualification because I enjoy being on projects. It drove me in such a nice way to not almost be resentful of what I could, but I I took the lesson out of it again of what can Mm. I do differently. Mm. Um, And I can, I then equipped myself. It drove me to join the modern analyst, to go to the Mm. IIBA sessions, to Mm. literally read and consume every Mm. piece of information about being a BA. And I guess then I continued in my role, but I continued with a new set of energy because it actually energized me to be more. Mm. And shortly after that, I actually became more. Literally closed my eyes, went completely in pursuit of this BA journey. Mm. And I was then offered, we had a systems manager vacancy for all HR systems. Um, And they were going to recruit for it. Mm. And they were like, do you want to act in this role? Oh, act. Mm. Okay. I got the acting systems manager role. Uh-huh. I was a designate, acted in the role for a bit, and I started out being a systems manager. So I had pivoted completely over that failure. Yeah. Because I now then became the manager of BAs. So the, it was weird. It was like literally six months later, the thing that I was striving to become, mm-hmm. I became the manager of business mm-hmm. and I ended up recruiting business analysts. Yeah. And that's why I say, sometimes you look at your failures and you'd be so angry and you'd waste so much time mm. around the individual or the person or the situation mm. that in six months from that, I almost projected, yeah, right. I think it was about between six, it was six to 12 months. It was a very short space. And before I knew it, I woke up being told you need to recruit systems analysts you're gonna, we're going to transfer these systems analysts into your team. Mm. You're going to need a BA at some point. And I'm mm. like, I want to be that person. I'm going to be that person's <laughs> manager. Yeah, life has a funny way of right? if you take lemons and you make, you can make the best lemonade out of that. Uh, yeah. Because I yeah. genuinely did. I then learned everything about being a BA so that I could be a manager mm. of BAs. Mm. I love that. And it was really like, it was such a nice journey. I then started coaching. I started mentoring so many BA systems analysts and different teams, I guess. And mm. from there, I've literally like paved the way because then I discovered mm. that I actually enjoyed mentoring and coaching, teaching, and it all eventually came together. I then became a systems manager. I got yeah. to do the people stuff because it was in HR. Yes. And I got to do the IT stuff and being a team manager. I got to lead people, mm. but I still get to be the teacher. Mm. And I love doing that. I get to do that every day. Yeah. I still get to be in HR. I get to be in IT. Mm. 
get to work with people. And that was, I think, the big thing for me is I love the part where people, technology and processes come together. Yeah. And I mean, if you had asked what's for me often quite sad is there are many students, there are many minds like mine mm. out there. Um, and when they told what to study or where to go or have a dream or an aspiration, mm. the being able to articulate what you want to do sounds weird. Yes. We often sound like weird. It's like, why do you want to do that? Yeah. <laughs> the way you articulate yourself is weird. And the what you want to do, there's no such thing out there to study because it's not. I mean, if you open the prospectus of a university, mm, mm. you can't just scroll down, find the degree. It's not as easy as scrolling yes. down and going like, da 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 law. Yes, correct, right? <laughs> Accounting. <laughs> it's not that easy. So now I actually get to teach people that it's okay to be different. It's okay mm. to have a weird and inquiring mind. And I think the one yes. question you, you wrote to me and you asked me, what's quirky about you? I have the most inquiring mind I like different things that's not streamlined that's not mm. in an industry that's not in a textbook mm. and I got to a point where I'm okay with that that's probably been the biggest thing for me it's okay to not have a career that's like on the straight and narrow path. Mm. it's okay to like varying things it's okay yes. to not I didn't do my master's yeah because I don't want to be a psychometrist yeah, yeah. I studied industrial psychology, but I didn't do my master's. And my parents were like, but you study, you study, you're <laughs> academic. Why would you be not? easy? <laughs> like, mm. Just do it. Just because <laughs> you can. I'm like, oh, I will when uh, I'm bored. But right mm. now, that's not the subject <laughs> I like. Yes. Yeah. I went on to do my postgrad in innovative leadership. Mm. That's what I love. Yeah. Um, and I've almost become okay with that and that was one of the big things is that you don't have to follow a normal path mm. what is normal actually exactly mm. so literally breaking down the limiting beliefs mm. is one of my things if there's something that you can do is break down those beliefs you have about yourself that limit you like break the box we often mm. talk about you know box thinking or designing and putting people in boxes it's just break the box mm. Be the difference. Enjoy yeah. it. Be boldly curious and be okay with it. I am mm. okay with being a weirdo who loves to love, read mm. different things from different industries and dabble in like a whole lot of different things yeah. and never specialize. And just because you don't specialize in something doesn't mean you can't be a success. It doesn't mm. mean that you're not going to make your way to the top. Mm. You could do, you might not want to be at the top. Yes. Everyone's ladder is different. You yeah. might actually get to a space where for you that's comfort. Mm. Start somewhere. Yeah. Start anywhere. Just make a start. Mm. So often people just talk. They'd like to, they want to start using action driven words mm. and start. Mm. I always say, and, and it's something I joke with my colleague about, I say, be a verb. Be a I love word. that. Be a doing <laughs> word. I'm going to remember that for myself. I love that. Yes, be a verb. Don't There's be power a verb. in that. Yeah. Yes. Don't be a noun. Don't, yes. be, <laughs> don't just be an object. Don't be just an object in a meeting or mm. in life. Add value. Be a verb. Be a doing word. Mm. Um, take 
action. And yes. verbs are action words. Hmm. So I often say that. Um, and wherever you find yourself, you have yourself, you have your talents, and you have your abilities. Yeah. You take you with you wherever you go. Yeah. And then staying on top of your game for me is also about having a network that you're accountable to. Mm, tell me more. I love, I love having a network I'm accountable to, your friends, your family, in your industry. Having people that you can speak with, bold your goals and your vision with. Mm. And I always say that also is, there's one thing about having a network. And then when it comes to goals and dreams, it's keeping it small and keeping it centered for your own protection. Because, mm. I mean, there's also, with that comes lots of taste and hate and the not so nice. But so I always keep yeah. it small, keep your circle small, mm. but keep, keep a circle of people that you're accountable to. Because mm. um, for me, then you know those people hold you accountable for the dreams and the vision you said you had. So when you stop and when you stop for too long, um, <laughs> my mom's one of those people, my sister, partner, my friends, hmm. my best friend. I always tell them where I see myself or where I'm headed and they are part of that 10-year journey so hmm. that I have someone who's holding me accountable to that thing I said I was going to do. Yeah, I love that. I think everybody needs that sort of person, right? Or those people mm-hmm. that, because you can't yeah. do it alone though. As much as it is your own journey and your own trail that you're blazing and you're doing the things and you're doing the most of the things, but you need your people to be like, you are doing the right thing. Continue. That's why I say you need that network who keeps going. Bit of weary. Like, yes. I see you. You need that reminder. And then reading, writing, and listening yeah. is probably one of the things that keeps me on top of my game. So writing to myself sometimes, writing, journaling. Mm. Um, and I don't spend like a lot of time doing the formal journaling type stuff. Like mm. I'm not one of those people. But sometimes I write for the sake of writing to release from my mind mm. what's keeping this mm. machine. Because mm. if there's too much going on in your brain, you then like you limit your ability to be more and more creative, to consume anymore because it's full. Yeah. Sometimes I'll just do a brain dump, Mm. a brain dump of a to-do list, a brain dump of projects or thoughts that I'm having, a brain dump. And that's both in your personal life and in your career. Mm. Sometimes you've got home stuff, family stuff, personal stuff that you want to achieve that you don't have the space for now. But unless you put it somewhere, it's going to keep nudging on you that you haven't done it. So sometimes I'll put it somewhere. So that I know, and I'll put it there with a date. But then mm. I've created space and capacity in my brain to do the next thing. Yeah. Your brain has a limit. So yeah. sometimes I just write to myself. Mm. Yourself, this is what you need to do. Yes. <laughs> this is what you need to buy. This is what you need to do. This is where you want to go. Mm. This is what you want to do. These are the little projects in your life you still want to tackle. Yeah. I'll keep a project both personal and work-wise. Mm. These things you want to study, the aspects you want to research, the topics mm. you really enjoy. But then you create capacity in your brain to do more. Yeah. The same I with reading. That. So reading, listening to different podcasts, mm. favoriting them. And I really, I mean, I, I don't have a method. I often say to people, you get Ted and lots mm. of like audio books and podcasts. I don't follow a single one. Mm-hmm. I feel at the, at the point in the week, there's a space or a topic that I'm interested in. I then pursue that space. Yeah. 
if it's courage, vulnerability, a new technology, an aspect, an emotion, a skill, a learning, mm. whether it's RBA, bots, mm. that's coming out, what's happening in the industry. Mm. So I'll mix it up and wherever my head is at at the time, I'll then consume that information. But one of the ways I consume so much information is wherever I find a gap mm. in my day, in my space, Yeah, I listen. So even if it's playing in the background, if I'm doing the dishes, oh, okay. ah. if I am busy doing admin, I'll put the podcast on in the background because my brain has the ability to consume that information subconsciously mm. while I'm busy doing an administrative mundane task. Yeah, yeah. So that's how like people often ask me, yes, but where do you find the time to mm. podcast and to read <laughs> and to do all the things you do? You make space. For sure, you right? The, you wash the dishes, you put it on the counter. Yeah, it's the same with Netflix. I mean, we watch, we often do dishes and Netflix is in the background. So what would be the difference with putting a podcast or a TEDx or something just in the background? But but I love that. It's all about making the time for the things that matter, right? I mean, your entire journey speaks to that. You cannot have come to where you are today if you didn't make time for where you wanted to be with your 10-year goal, with the way that you plan. You just have to make time for yourself if this is for whatever you want to do, I guess. Like that's, it all comes down to that, making the time to stay on top of your game and to continue to be in the game, right? And to have the thick skin. Got to make time for this. And I always say people make time for the things that are important to them. Yes. So if growing yourself is important to you, you'll make the time. Mm. People make the time to Netflix. Yeah. And, and this, if that season is important to you and it's so intriguing, guess what? You find the space to watch an episode, even if you watch it till three o'clock in the morning. <laughs> That's so true. If you, if you are as important, like your uh, series that you like, you do the same thing. Yes. Watch a podcast till three o'clock in the morning. Yes. Research that topic that you like until three o'clock in the morning. Me, I like the Netflix too. Yeah. We find the find time. The Exactly. I find that if I find a CDs, man, I will find the time. I will sleep less to watch that episode. Yes. But conversely, I spend the same amount of energy on myself and growing myself. Mm. And so much more than I do on TV. TV is probably the thing I do the least. Yes. But learn on your journey though, I mean, one of my last few sorts of questions is around women empowering other women and women empowerment. I mean, in your journey, have you, unfortunately, we do have a sad stereotype around women, women feeling threatened by other women. Why do you think this is? And has this maybe shown up in your journey? And how have you maybe overcome that? And then also, how can we support women to support other women? I think there is the stereotypes, for sure. There are the aspects of women being threatened by women and I think a lot of it comes from just the histories and a lot of it comes from how they raised what they've been mm. through and and their path I think one thing I have whenever I encountered it is the thing that I always project is to say I'll come alongside you I'm not here to compete mm. I don't want to compete I'm competing with myself in my head yes. I'm my own competition I love yes. that so I'm never out there to compete with another woman I often make that quite clear Mm. Upfront, I'm going to come alongside you. I also, I enjoy being behind the scenes. So, I mean, this mm. is like a, even recording this is a way step up for me. <laughs> I enjoy being the behind the scenes mm. person. So, therefore, I'm often not threatened. Um, mm. And I don't find myself personally, but I do find myself in situations where other people would feel threatened um, mm. in in many spaces. And that's on, on them. Mm. 
but I enjoy most to come alongside another woman. Mm. Meeting in a career, in, in any space, I enjoy that more. And I think that often pivots into they easily let their guard down because if you're not in for a competition, then and that's not the energy that you project, then mm. it's pretty simple to diffuse that situation almost. Yes. And then in another space where that competition or that threat exists, it's not my cup of tea. Mm. So I don't engage with it unless I really have to. Yeah. I'm not going to play in your space. I don't like it. It's not my energy. It doesn't vibe with me. I'm quite clear about unless it's a need to situation, mm. I'm not going to try. Yeah. And that keeps me, keeps me safe, keeps me sane keeps me grounded and clear because I know that's not my circle, not my party. Yes. Sometimes it's okay. I don't need to take on every invitation. If mm. I know that's the level of energy that's going to be there, then I go, no, thank you. Yeah. There are the times where you're always going to be faced with it. Yes. But when you're faced with it, is knowing how to deal with it, what elements you prepare to deal with and which elements you're not going to. Because you're going to come up against some very strong yeah. personalities that it doesn't matter how much you try and come alongside them, they don't mm. see it your way. Mm. And that's okay. I then operate with whatever I need to do. I'll still show you what I am about as a woman, yes. what I stand for as a woman. What you choose for you is about you. Mm. But I'm going to show you what I choose for me and yes. what I choose to portray yes. and how I choose to be. And mm. I'm still going to be the best version of me when I'm around you. Mm. I love that. And that speaks about also, I guess, being the example in the room. Like we don't all have to act like that. Um, hmm. There are many other ways to act and to support each other. And this is how I show up. And hopefully through you, hopefully seeing my engagement and how I show up, hopefully it will maybe turn you around, you know, not to act hmm. as you are, which I'm sure also takes a, it takes a lot of patience, I guess, also when you're in those situations, because it can become tiring. Like you're saying, if it's one of those things that you are constantly having to be in that situation, to keep your cool, to keep showing up as yourself, to not falter and just get the job done. Because that's how you then also show that I'm here to do the job and everything else is merely, that's just politics that we're trying to play into also, that won't get you anywhere, really. Mm. From a woman empowerment point of view, I think my views have always been like, as women, we need to plant together, we mm. need to equip together, we need to grow together. As girls, we need to truly encounter and find strengths in one another yeah. um, and change the narrative. Mm. I mean, the dynamic has changed significantly yeah. in the last 10 years. If you reflect on the initiatives, mm. and then one of the other things I say is leverage being a woman. Mm. Be inclusive where you can. Celebrate yeah. each other. Truly, leverage your strength as sisters, as girls, mm. as women, whether that be in a corporate space, in a family dynamic, in your personal spaces. Really learn to, to lean on one another. Yeah. Um, and to take that strength to break the stereotype. Because we actually have, I mean, women are powerful. Yeah. It's an exciting time to be a woman, mm. completely, completely. To break the barriers across different industries. And I mean, I've seen so many great women just like master jobs, positions mm. that they've set up for men only in the last few years. And it's happening so quick now. Yeah. Like I'm absolutely loving and enjoying seeing like women navigating and pioneering 
in South Africa and abroad, but I mean, mm. homegrown still the best. Yeah, for sure. I love it when it happens here. <laughs> for sure. But that's such a great way to lead into a question around what advice would you give listeners who are wanting to blaze their own trail or starting, you know, coming back to the verb of doing, being action orientated? What, what advice would you give listeners to blaze their own trail and to continue in what they're doing? Yeah. I think I'll come back to the aspect of start, start mm-hmm. somewhere. And as women, often women go through like hurt and change of the greatest teachers. Mm. Like use those opportunities, even the doors that close for you, use it as a teacher to see what you don't want to be, what you need to be and where you want to be going. Often we can wallow in it and yeah. you bury it because mm. we taught so many times to, if, okay. if you go through something that's hard, Bury it, bury the hatchet, you know, the mm. say. No, don't put the plaster over your wound. Yes. Rip it open, heal it and go, mm. grow, keep mm. going. There's power from momentum. Yes. Love you that. get energy, you get electricity from momentum. Mm. It electrifies you when you just keep going. And sometimes, like I always say, to me, it's in the simple things that we do. It's in the everyday things mm. that we do. And sometimes there are the everyday things that need to be done that just pivots you into a space that no one is prepared to do. Like I always say, mm. the hardworking person, yeah. the world's never going to run short of hardworking people. Therefore, if that's what you're good at, being hardworking is what you're good at. You keep just being that hardworking woman. Mm. You may not have a thousand talents, but if you just like, hard work is a basic, yeah. exists in all of us to be hardworking. Mm. Mm. But so many people choose not to. Yeah. I mean, that's something I actually observed that from the Indonesian culture is they are some of the most hardworking people I've seen. And they take so much pride Mm. in everything they do. I was like, wow, that's an interesting trait. Yeah. They just strive to work hard. They Mm. have been taught from young. Yes. Hard work is your name. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, no, I I love that. Thanks, Lynn. And then our last question, actually, which is sometimes the very exciting question of all the interview questions is, which woman would you like to have at your dinner table and why? Sure. I have so many. And we spoke about this briefly. Mm. Maya Angelou, who inspires me from a writing point of view. There's an entire network of women who I absolutely love, Mm. which is the Inspiring 50 Girls, me being one of them. Mm. And that's probably like, if I could continue to have dinners and suppers with them, it's my entire Inspiring 50 network. I mean, I love having like a chat group with them because also that's one of the spaces that keeps you accountable mm. is, is having a network like that. But there are so many of them. I mean, there are too many names to mention. Yeah. There's about 150 of them. <laughs> inspiring 50 women in technology in South Africa. And they mm. are from all walks of life. Mm. So, I mean, there's so many local women. Mm. Um, someone who I have had the privilege of having dinner with, Carol Bauer. Wow. So I've had a dinner with her, but she's mm. someone like, you would just love to have at your dinner table. She yeah. is such an inspiration. Like she inspires me in so many ways that if I yeah. could have a dinner again, it would be a, someone I haven't had dinner with yet, but also local mm. is proper king music. Oh, uh, yeah. Love reading. I mean, I would love to have dinner with her too mm. um, she's such a fabulous academic mm. such a pioneer 
and she's someone I'd love to like learn from, grow from, yeah. and listen to her story. Yeah, yeah, and then there are like a multitude of authors that I truly enjoy, and then someone else is like Helen Keller, in yeah, her pioneer. space, like, like pioneer, like what I want to be like. What were you thinking? Like, what were you going through? <laughs> yeah, please share. Yes. <laughs> like when you face these difficulties, like what was going through your mind when you faced so much challenge? Mm. Like where was your head at? Yeah, and how did you persevere? I guess, and how did you continue? Mm. Like that is those those she hero stories. I guess are always the ones that are most intriguing because of all the women you've also mentioned, they all have a she hero story, and so do you. And that's what I've also found interesting about doing the pod because I'm like, it's the she hero story. That is what intrigues me always. I want to know your point of tension, how you've overcome it. And where you find yourself in this exciting space of pioneering, of becoming, and letting other women also know how they can do it and how they can continue to pioneer. Yeah, those women are all very, very inspiring that you've just mentioned, though. And this question is always difficult because, like you're saying, there are many women. We are inspired by many women, and it's always difficult to choose one to say who. Um, <laughs> but yes, Lynn, we've actually reached the end of our interview and I've okay. really enjoyed hearing your story. Um, and thank you for holding the space with us today. It's, I know the listeners, there's going to be lots of gems and aha moments that we can also, you know, start in action. And I think for me, what I've enjoyed and what I'm going to take away is just to describe myself as a verb of doing. I think that can, that, that's such a big mentality change though, is when you speak with action and not just, mm-hmm. I want to, or I have a mm-hmm. thought. It's about, okay, so mm-hmm. you have the thought, so what are you going to do about it? I love that point of, so what, you know, so what, so what you can do. I, I love it. There's mm-hmm. so much power in that. And thank you for sharing that. For our listeners, you can reach Lynn on LinkedIn or you can drop her a mail at lynn.wilson004 at gmail.com. I'll pop all the details on the site. Feel free to leave your comments down below. We'd love to hear how you are blazing your own trail and making those brave moves. Thank you for listening to Her Bold Story. And remember, be bold, be brave, be inspired. Her Bold Story in proud association with 168FM.